Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to The Best Damn Camp, a Rodden Verse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Rowden in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Today we continue our timeline journey with The King Chronicles, The Red Pyramid, Chapter 27, A Demon with Three Samples, and Chapter 28, I Have a Date with a God of Toilet Paper, which are from Sadie's point of view. As always, I have my points to focus on, so today we've got characters, problematic elements, and generally what I thought of it. But to begin, here's the synopsis. After defeating the first demon at the cataracts, Sidney meets a few special familiar guests that both provide some doom and gloom that just adds to some drama, and a need for speed to get these ingredients to defeat set quickly, as well as just some interesting questions about where her future lies. And that's pretty much the synopsis for these two chapters. Um, A lot does happen admittedly, I just feel like there's not really much that you can really summarise in this synopsis. So thankfully we've got the overview for the chapters for that, so don't worry, we'll be getting into more more details um, in due course. Um, At current I do want to remind people that uh, if you are listening on Spotify you can now rate this podcast and leave... um, a star rating to help other people find this podcast as well as the fact that my prequel short story echoes of the past is up for pre-orders so uh, you can go to the link in the episode show notes to do so now that's coming out february 23rd 2022 so uh you know do that that'll be fun <laughs> anyway let's get into the main thing here because of course that is what you are all here for and that is chapter 27 a demon with free samples and here is the overview for chapter 27. We head into the first cataract of the land of the dead. Seeing the dead sad and forlorn, we learn the history of this realm. As they pass through the roller coaster ride of the first cataract entrance, their challenge arrives. The siblings must defeat Shesmu, slaughter of souls, fierce of face, the demon of the first cataract, who has to be named to be defeated. Thankfully, it was a lot easier than they realised, until they moved on to the next cataract, the Lake of Fire. And yeah, that's kind of it for this chapter. Like, this chapter, interesting, fun, very quick, so you know, that's always good. Um, I will like f- to focus on for the feedback initially, the mention that I set, put here of like the fact that the dead souls are looking sad and sort of forlorn. Um, we learn from Bass that basically the reason why, the, and Bloodstained Blade, now, the reason why the spirits here are just kind of not really doing too well is because Ra has been gone for so long. Like, Ra used to go through this journey on this, like, Lake of the Dead, basically, to go through all of these different cataracts and all these sort of things in the Land of the Dead. 
when basically when it's night time he would go through here and reinvigorate everything and make everything stronger and he'd bring a glow of light and life to the dead that would keep them feeling good about themselves and feeling happy basically in their afterlife because they've not been able to make it all the way to the main afterlife section so these are the ones who've gotten lost and not been able to make their way there or they've not been able to pass um the different uh cataracts the different entrances and stuff or had the information to pass them so they're kind of stuck here but Ra would give them hope and a light and they've just not had that for so long um I just really appreciated learning that because I thought it was really, I thought it was a really interesting piece of information about the fact that, you know, the loss of a god has more effect in nowadays than you would think. Because this is something I've always wondered about. Because obviously, not many people nowadays really believe in Egyptian gods or Greek gods. Like obviously, we have people who believe in polytheistic faiths now, but it's more of a it's like a smaller following in comparison to what it was back in the day or modern religions um so it's nice it's not nice because it's kind of sad but it's interesting that we have this show of the fact that these gods do have significance still in our modern day for the people who have been lost previously and just i don't know i just thought it was really interesting we also kind of get a discussion of how um <laughs> I think it was Sadie, yeah. Sadie basically being like, yeah, that doesn't make sense because, you know, the sun is in the sky all the time, like science. And Bass is basically being like, well, yeah, but everything works in tandem. Like, <laughs> everything goes together. Um, which I think is like a good nod as well to the fact that obviously Apollo is a sun god as well. And every, like, faith has a god connected to the sun. So whatever you believe in, they are all, in a sense, connected to each other. Um, I don't know, I just really, I just really liked that. Um, <laughs> one thing, and this is kind of dumb, but I wanted to say it. I know they're kids, <laughs> but damn, I needed a cataract-related joke when they learned that's what the different entrances and levels of the Land of the Dead are called, because the first time I read the word cataract, immediately I was like, like, the things that you get on your eyes <laughs> but again they're kids so I kind of half got it I, admittedly I don't think I ever heard that word until I was older anyway when my grandparents were like getting cataracts um but you know it was the first thing that came to my mind so I was like oh that would have been a great joke <laughs> anyway um the one thing I do want to point out so this comes up a lot and this is something that Rick has forgotten all the time in all of his books and it's this power of names because Bass literally says in the previous chapter it is dangerous to say Apophis's name at night because that's when he is the most powerful and also names in general have power but Rick has forgotten this with every single series he's written that names have power they can basically draw the person whose name you are saying to find where you are it's like sending up a beacon basically and he forgets this all the time. And in this case, he literally forgets it four or five pages after he's already written it down. Like, why say it's dangerous to say Apophis's name and then four pages later say Apophis's name aloud multiple times? Like, it's said by Bass, it's said by Bloodstained Blade, it's said by Sadie and maybe Carter. Like, it's said four different times after it's just been said, hey, probably don't say that because names have power. 
Rick, don't write this in if you're going to forget about it. <laughs> Do it all the time, man. Um, and just for an additional side note, I love the fact that the fighting against enemies isn't always like literal fighting. In this case, it was literally just about outsmarting the opponent to pass through because Shesmu is dumb. So Chesmu's whole thing is that they've got to figure out what his true name is to be able to pass through. And Sadie basically outsmarts him enough to announce his full name of Shesmu, Slaughterer of Souls, Fierce of Face. And so they say it. <laughs> and then it's like, oh no, how do they, everyone always figure this out? <laughs> Though I will find it weird that Sadie still kind of went on about how, like, Kana, hurry up and tell me the name. And I'm after Shesmu had already said their name. I'm like, Sadie now. I know, you don't need, to come on. <laughs> But anyway, that's kind of all I have for that chapter, because like I said, not that much really happens in this section. The main stuff happens in chapter 28, so let's get to it. Uh, so chapter 28, I have a date with the god of toilet paper. And you can tell already, I'm going to hate every second of this. So let's get on with the overview. They reach their next trial a pair of closed gates that will allow them to cross if they face their next test. As it turns out, it is Iskandar, the guardian bar, who must allow them to pass. Iskandar apologises for not being there to support the siblings and admits that he failed in not listening to their parents. He says they, that Sadie will need to make a choice soon, one that will be hard to make, so they must be ready. He then grants them passage to the next cataract where it is revealed that only Sadie has known he was there as the rest were frozen in time. When they pass through, it is there that they, or Sadie really, meets Anubis to gain the feather of truth from. The bad news, the scales are broken for the trial of the afterlife, allowing chaos to brew, so he is unwilling to give them the feather. It is only after Sadie answers three questions truthfully does he allow it to be passed to them and only to Sadie? Now they must go and find Anubis's mother, Nephthys, to gain the final ingredient, sets me. And that's pretty much the overview for chapter 28. Now you may be wondering why I said you may figure out that I hate this chapter. Well, it's it's the Anubis and Sadie part, as previously briefly discussed intermittently throughout many episodes of this book. We're not going to get to that yet because there are a few other things I want to bring up first that I was not a fan of in this chapter. First one being this bad mouthing and blame game of Cleopatra is I, I'm not a fan, it's not it, I'm not here for this. The, like Iskandar is literally blaming her for the fall of Egypt to Rome and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Because yes, she was the last pharaoh, but it can't be all her fault considering Rome was this incredibly huge power in comparison in some ways. Like, Rome had been conquering people and continents and countries for a very long time that they were in a sense much larger, like their, their, oh God, their kingdom basically was much larger than Egypt at this point I believe. Now I'm, I admit I'm not a historian but you can't you can't just say that the fall of Egypt is solely due to Cleopatra being an idiot girl who thought she could take on the power of a god. 
because that's not it. That's not it. That just feels a bit sexist, if I'm honest. But I guess Iskandar is from around that time, so it would make sense. Um, I do like that Iskandar has admitted that he was wrong in not listening to them, to their mother and like their parents in general. Um, be, because he, obviously they went on to take it on t- into their own hands because he wouldn't do anything because he was blinded by his own ego. Um, and he just wouldn't listen to their fears, which were the fact that the Mart was going to be overwhelmed by chaos and they would lose if they didn't bring back the gods to help balance it. Um, and I just like that. I just like that he admitted that he was wrong and that he was sorry for not realising sooner and all the terrible things that happened from that. Um, the only thing that I do want to say is, though, why is Iskandar here? Like, it's not explained why he is, like, this guardian bar or, like, the person guarding these gates. Like, there is no explanation whatsoever for this, and I'm very confused. But, you know, <laughs> mythology, I feel like it's, like, the broad... Like, you can't see me doing it, but it's just the raised hands shoulders all these sort of things of mythology question mark (laughs) um i don't know it was a bit bit weird but uh the weirdest thing i don't even think you can call it weird the creepiest thing is when they introduce this bond between anubis and sadie anubis being a five thousand year old god who Sadie even mentions would be 5,000 years old. Cause her co- and again, he will be 5,000 years old because he's existed since the dawn of ancient Egypt, which is a very long time ago. But then they also then go on to say that he must only be 16 or he looks 16 and then he goes on about this whole thing of like, oh, I don't even know how old I am or how young I am. Time moves weirdly, blah, blah, blah. And you know they're only doing it <laughs> because they are trying to justify a budding relationship between them. Even worse, we actually end this section, this chapter, I mean, with a flirty line from Anubis saying, when we meet next, maybe you can update me on courting rituals. And just, uh, no, no, don't, mm, mm, Rick, Rick, Rick. But we're going to get to that with the problematic elements. But first, let's talk about characters. I've only got one character to talk about very briefly. And then the main focus will be on the problematic elements because, wow. So, I want to talk about Sadie. Because Sadie has some pretty cool moments here of using her intellect to get out of situations and a little bit of her snark. Um, And I just really, I just really like that. I like that she outsmarts a demon by playing on what she has observed of others, particularly with Bast. And uses this to figure out how to keep the demon distracted, for Carter to find his name, and also then getting the guy to accidentally say his name as well. Like She is really playing into what this guy that this demon basically is like like she recognizes that he likes talking about himself he likes being praised all these sort of things so she plays it up big time i just really really like that i think it was really smart um adding that she was also the one who engaged the most with is well also she was the only one who engaged with iskandar um and the fact that iskandar says that she has a really important role to play um and that she will have a choice later on 
it just gives us the sense that she is going to be of importance later and admittedly both siblings obviously are but she she's been noticing a lot more things than carter like we even have this moment with um when they're in the trial area um for the land of the dead of like where they, their soul gets ways as to whether they're good or bad even though the weights are obviously broken at this current point and like she's noticing tomb she's hearing sounds all these sort of things but carter isn't noticing a thing and it's because that sadie is observant um i don't know i just like that the fact that she is observant is like a part of her character we've not really seen much of it like this is the first time we've seen quite a bit of it which is a little bit disappointing i'd rather we'd seen a bit more of that late uh, like earlier so this was built up to a bit more and it kind of doesn't feel like it's coming out of nowhere but like that's pretty much the, my only complaint is that i would have liked to have seen more of her perception skills earlier on so we could see this happening going in of being like oh it makes sense why she's not seeing it because this has happened a few times before like all we've really had previously is that she can read hieroglyphics really easily but what does that have to do perception at current like there's not really much explanation for for this but that's more nitpicky than anything um and yeah i just i'm glad that we're seeing a bit more here the only the only issue and this is half a little bit of the thing i want to talk about in the problematic elements but the, the sibling dynamic and relationship is still not happening from her side like there is no emotional engagement happening from her side towards carter there is one moment where she says oh god what is it exactly uh i think it's something i think it's something about her sacrificing herself for carter i don't remember exactly um Oh yeah, would you give your life for your brother? And she says, yes. And she goes, I know it surprised me too, but holding the feather forced me to be truthful. Otherwise it didn't make me, obviously it didn't make me any wiser. So even when she's saying something that's in a sense like she would, like she would sacrifice herself for her brother because she loves her brother, she still has to make a joke out of it of, obviously it didn't make me any wiser. Of like the idea of giving up herself to save her brother oh it's not a wise idea like oh it's completely illogical i'm like well no because he's your family and you do care about him and he clearly i'm sorry carter cares way more about sadie than sadie cares about carter at this point and it's disappointing me that this could have been a beautiful moment of her being like yeah that surprised me but now that when i think about it i would i know we don't know each like this could have been a great moving moment for her to be like yeah our relationship is rocky but i would because he is still my brother just end it with something like of course because he is my brother i just didn't realize i would go this far or something like that just have the surprise but focus more on her love for her brother instead of making it into oh i'm not any wiser like you're just undermining the emotional beat from this and it Rick does this all the time and it's actually kind of pissed me off a little bit because there's no growth from sadie right now and considering going into the problematic elements now officially <laughs> considering we are getting more emotional growth and emotional intelligence and just moments of like not even like emotional depth but like she is interacting with anubis in a more open way 
in some areas admittedly like I don't know it's just I feel like they're showing more focus on building this romantic relationship than they've actually been building the sibling relationship from Sadie's part when that should be the most important dynamic look I get having crushes because like even Sadie talks about it like uh, I hate oh god I hate that Rhett calls it being boy crazy. Having a crush is not being called is not being boy crazy. Don't be that's misogynistic in general. Having a crush does not make someone, a girl in particular, boy crazy. Like that's ridiculous. But the fact that this is the first time we're getting a deeper side of Sadie, of the fact that she's recognising that she would sacrifice herself for her brother, even though she takes the piss out of it. The fact that she would give up her father to save the world. And, like, the sort of crushing feeling that she gets after that. All of this is happening in front of a a romantic interest partner, basically, for her. And not something with her brother. Also, she keeps her entire conversation with Iskandar secret from everyone. I've just realised that. She has not told a single person of her conversation with Iskandar. So she is keeping information from Carter. Like, that's not cool. (laughs) You're meant to be in this together. How are you meant to be doing things together if you're keeping information from someone who clearly would need this information going forward? Like, you are being you're being disingenuous to your relationship because you're keeping things secret. Technically, you're going against the feather of truth where you're meant to be truthful because you aren't. You're keeping things like it's half truths basically. But anyway, sorry, focusing on the main thing of the problematic elements. The fact that we're getting the beginning of the hinting of a romantic relationship between Anubis, a 5,000-year-old god, and Sadie, a at-current 12-year-old girl, is the most uncomfortable thing I have ever read. Now, I know there are discussions of going back to Heroes of Olympus of how the Frank and Hazel relationship is also problematic because of the age gap that one yeah i can i can see the problems with it as well but seeing as their age gap is technically only 18 months so well yeah just so 18 months so saint hazel turns 14 at some point like not long after frank has turned 16 it's still it's still not great still not great (laughs) but in comparison to someone who is 12 not even 13, like literally she only turns 13 in the next book. And a 5,000 year old immortal god who looks like a 16 year old is firstly, you know, not good in the eyes of UK law, which is obviously where Sadie is from, but just he's an immortal god. And I, I hate, I hate that they are playing this whole he's actually young because he doesn't feel the time difference like time works differently in the land of the dead so he doesn't actually think he's thousands of years old he's just actually just he's actually really young god and all these sort of things because because of time being wonky and i'm like this is just going this is just a really creepy justification for a romance between an immortal old god and a minor like someone who legally <laughs> cannot be in any form of relationship with this guy because he is a predator by definition of UK law he is a predator 
just even in the stories in general <laughs> he is a predator like you're an immortal god who has chosen to take the form of a 16 year old also this whole thing of like oh this is just the form i was given i'm like well that seems bollocksy but uh, and they just well admittedly they don't even know he's 16 they just decide to give him the label of looking like a 16 year old oh i'm just ah uh, <laughs> And then, making it even worse, they perpetuate the idea of literally Sadie saying she's mature for her age at 12, nearly 30. Like, saying the words to Anubis. Oh god, what is it exactly? Because it's just, it's so bad, it's so awful. It makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> oh god. Um. Oh yes, that was it. Excuse me, I was like, why hasn't your family married you after so... Oh, so this is even worse. He's talking about her being married off. And she's like, excuse me, death boy, but I'm 12. Well, almost 13. And a very mature almost 13, but that's not the point. I'm like, no, what's not the point is that whether or not you are supposedly mature for your age, you're still a minor, you're still a child. And it's just gross on many levels because saying she is mature for her age is something predators say about why they are in fact grooming children to be in relationships with them saying that she is mature for her age at 12 this is to justify her being with an older person and it's just it's wrong on so so many levels and it gets worse it gets so much worse and this is a thing and this is like a justifiable there are many critiques of rick's writing are completely justifiable but this one in particular he has created a predator in Anubis, but thinks it's okay because he looks 16 and thinks like he may be a young person, even though he's still an immortal god. And the fact that he's still over the age of 16, really, engaging in romantic banter with a minor who is 12. No, none of this is okay. I just... This is why this week's question of the episode is going to be, were you uncomfortable with the Anubis and Sadie dynamic? Because, oh my god. Oh my god. I just, I need to feel validated in my hatred of this ship. I do not understand people who think this ship is okay. Like, even the one with what, like, what at least is, at least he's not immortal, but he is still, oh, the spoilers. Uh, Walt is not immortal, but he is still 16. Which, like... I hope they age him down because at least that wouldn't be okay get rid of the anubis relationship in the movies you can keep the walt one just making the same age as carter of 14 because that's at least better it was just also weird in general that they brought in a lot of people who were older than them later on anyway sorry that's different books later on i'll get to that when we get to that so uh yeah <laughs> we'll just finish here with that question in the episode which will go up on our social media tomorrow of course so oh my god i'm so stressed it's <laughs> anyway thank you all for joining me for these chapters be sure to join me next wednesday as we continue our riding verse journey to plug where you can find our podcast we're available on spotify apple podcast audio boom stitcher and basically where we listen to your podcasts in the meantime between episodes you can find the best damn camp on various social media at best damn camp pod on instagram and twitter if you want to email me with your thoughts on the episode you can email the best damn camp at hotmail.com or if you want to support the podcast you can head over to the patreon page 
at patreon.com slash a healthy dose of Fran, which is linked in the episode show notes for things like early access to episodes and other exclusive perks. Want more Ronaldverse content? Check me out on YouTube at a healthy dose of Fran. And if you want to support my writing career, drop me a follow at a dose of Fran on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Again, thank you all for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I'll see, shall I speak to you all next time. Bye.